lots and lots of Republicans voted for me in the Senate to substitute its judgment for the people in picking a president. They are ready for someone to take the reins. We need more engagement in this public discourse and not less. Just listen. I think that's what I need to do is just really listen. What's up, Tennessee? Welcome to TriStar Talk. I'm Jeff Patterson, here to give you the latest on politics in the TriStar state. If you haven't, don't forget to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TriStar Talk. In Bill Lee's latest budget, though he is not giving more money to teachers who desperately need it, and though he is not providing more money for healthcare access in the state. He is giving himself a raise. It's a relatively small amount of $4,500. So in the grand scheme of a major state budget, it may not amount to much, but I still think it's telling that while he's asking for the state to cut services and to furlough state workers and has instituted a hiring freeze for state employees, he thinks he's doing a good enough job that he deserves a raise, despite also being a millionaire and a successful businessman. So I'm going to chalk that up as a loss for Governor Lee, but that's not his only loss. The Tennessee Supreme Court recently decided that it will not reach down to hear the appeal of a Nashville judge's ruling that Governor Bill Lee's school voucher law is unconstitutional. The state's highest court also said it will not lift the injunction on implementing the program while the legal challenge is underway. This is another loss for Lee's administration to try to force through a voucher program that would have only applied to Davidson and Shelby counties, counties that did not want the voucher program. And there were even Republicans going on record saying that they voted for it because it would not apply to their own districts. If you want to learn a little bit more about that case, we have talked about it on another episode. The court decided that this was not a fight that they were going to they were going to get into. And it is a major win for public education here in Tennessee. In the Tennessee Assembly, the Assembly decided to kill the proposed absentee voting legislation amendment. It was an amendment to House Bill 2467. There was some House floor debate on this issue. House member uh, William Lamberth made numerous false statements about it and even accused Democrats of trying to stuff the ballot box with absentee voting, despite there being no evidence whatsoever that absentee voting expansion benefits either party or that there is any evidence of widespread voter fraud through absentee absentee voting. This has turned into a major political fight. There was a lawsuit filed by the ACLU that we've also talked about on another episode, but essentially they were arguing that it is illegal to force voters to decide whether or not to exercise their right to vote or to remain safe in the midst of COVID-19. I believe all the Democrats voted to expand absentee voting in the state and all of the Republicans rejected it. So it does not appear that we will expand absentee voting before the upcoming primary or before the general election in November. Senator Brenda Gilmore, Democrat from Nashville, wants racial justice reform to emerge from the protests in in Tennessee and nationwide. She is calling for new reforms and released a statement. And here's what she said. 
On Saturday, I had the great privilege and honor of addressing thousands of people at War Memorial Plaza. People from all walks of life and from many backgrounds came together, uniting for a common purpose. We said with one voice that black lives matter. We said George Floyd's life has value and justice must be done. I want to commend our community advocates who organized this peaceful rally. It was a remarkable unity event. I also want to address what took place afterward. People carrying spray paint and lighter fluid, people who had no intention of joining a peaceful call for action, took out their frustration on our city. I do not condone arson and vandalism, and I never will. But I do understand their hopelessness, despair, and frustration. At a time when justice is needed so desperately, I want to challenge them to place that energy into positive change for our community. I also want to lift up the work of police officers who defend justice and practice fairness. They deserve our support and every department would benefit from focused reforms that help police better serve the needs of our community and weed out bad actors. Here are several reforms we will begin working on here in Tennessee. Implicit bias training. Every officer should be trained on ways to help combat their biases. More transparency. In addition to video body cameras, police records should be made more accessible to the public and higher standards and better pay. The state should adopt guidelines and licensing standards that put strong requirements in place to check for the skills and characteristics we expect of police, and we should increase starting pay to attract high-quality candidates. The actions of bad actors should not define the whole, and in this moment we cannot allow the actions of a few bad actors, whether protesters or police, to distract from the important goals of equality and justice. We cannot undo what has been done, but we must learn from past mistakes and we would do well to correct injustice urgently. It should also be mentioned that it should not require more training to become a barber than to become a police officer. You should not be able to be a police officer after numerous instances of excessive force and violence against the unarmed citizens that police are supposed to protect. And while I do agree with her that we're not going to condone arson and vandalism, that's not the point, but she is right to point out that there is a lot of hopelessness and a lot of frustration among the people that are protesting. And we do need to continue to urge people to protest peacefully, but we also need to urge the police to respond accordingly and to not put all their effort behind disbanding these peaceful protests and instead to stop and listen and to change their behavior. There were also speeches in the Tennessee House of Representatives against systematic racism this week Members of the Black Caucus pleaded their cause to their colleagues. Representative Harold Love of Nashville made it clear that destruction and chaos were not the order of the I Will Breathe rally. Love used his time on the House floor reminding his colleagues that the laws they pass need to benefit every citizen, including African Americans. You can't just like black people, he said. You also have to make policy that helps them and doesn't lower their value. He mentioned how the House has refused to remove the bust of Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest from the state capitol. And recently, Governor Lee has urged the members of the House to change the law that requires him to acknowledge Nathan Bedford Forrest Day. Representative Hakeem of Chattanooga asked House members to look at the killing of George Floyd through the lens of those victimized. He said there's something different about Floyd's death at the hand of police. And I truly believe that within the heart of the average citizen, there's a belief that a change must take place, he said. And it can all start in the legislature 
by passing criminal justice reform. Republicans also recently rejected Democrat attempts to expand Medicaid in the state. This is a purely political move and one that will lead to continued suffering among Tennesseans. Tennessee leads the nation in medical bankruptcies and rural hospital closures. Why they don't want to see more money for health care is, is beyond me. But the legislature is not the only governing body here in Tennessee that is having to debate criminal justice reform. Nashville saw many, many residents come out and send a resounding message to city leaders during a public hearing on Tuesday that was supposed to be on the budget. These residents came forward saying that they wanted the council members to defund police and invest in community goods and services. Some did come forward and voice their disdain for the property tax increase, which is over 30%. But the conversation mostly about police funding lasted until 4.30 a.m. Wednesday morning. A big part of the problem was with this property tax increase, the budget also has more money going to public safety agencies, including $2.6 million to the police, which residents say is an imbalance compared to needed public services. Mayor Cooper said, We're encouraged to see so many Nashvillians participate in the budget process, and we're listening closely to the ideas shared tonight. Ms. Campbell Gooch, a member of the Community Oversight Board and the Deputy Director of Gideon's Army, said that Nashville needs a budget that funds public safety through public goods, not policing and jails. But on top of a number of serious budget issues, police reform issues that Nashville's facing, Nashville will also have to deal with the prospect of hosting the Republican National Convention. The Democratic Party currently is working to decide whether it will even have an in-person convention. President Donald Trump was criticizing North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper for refusing to guarantee that we can have use of the Spectrum Arena, spend millions of dollars, have everybody arrive, and then tell them they will not be able to gain entry. This is in reference to Governor Cooper's shelter-in-place policy that is still in effect. So because of this, the Republican Party is eyeing Nashville as a possible new location. And I know that I've seen a lot of Tennessee House members saying that they would love for the convention to be in Nashville. None of them live in Nashville. And apparently they don't understand the political climate of Nashville. Mayor Cooper, of course, is weighing the potential economic benefits of having all these people come in for the convention, but he's more concerned that it will just contribute to our COVID-19 case count, that it doesn't make much public safety sense to allow it, but we'll see what he ends up doing there. In Congress, I was going to go through a lot of the other comments that our Tennessee representatives are making on the national level, but I'm really not even going to go through it because there's not much worth saying. I will, however, highlight James Mackler's recent statement. He is running to represent Tennessee in the U.S. Senate. He said, threatening to put the full force of the U.S. military on civilian streets makes as much sense as defunding the World Health Organization during a pandemic. It's dangerous and wrong. I've been deployed to a combat zone, and I know what that means to our troops and our military families. Bad people need to be caught. And I think everyone who helped identify and arrest the man responsible for setting Nashville's historic courthouse on fire, who was was not part of the peaceful and lawful demonstration, 
against the murder of George Floyd and systematic racism black Americans continue to face. But the U.S. military should not play a role in quelling violence that's being incited from within the White House. And I'm glad that he made that statement. Bill Haggerty, who's also running for Senate, took a completely different direction. So did Manny Seti. But here's, here's what they are both missing. And it's something that Justin Jones put very well, I thought. They call us protesters. But really, we're just people who want better for our communities, who want to make it home to our families, and want our loved ones to be safe. So rather than protesters, let's call folks taking to the streets what they are. Protectors. That's it for the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TriStarTalk. I'm Jeff Patterson. Thanks for listening.